Step into the future with us on this podcast as we dive deep into the boundless potential of hydrogen, the fuel that's set to play a key role in revolutionising our energy system and pave the way to a sustainable future. I'm Katie Begg, Head of Marketing and Communications at the Net Zero Technology Centre, and I'm joined by my colleague, Jason Patterson, Innovation Manager. As the energy industry transitions, low-carbon hydrogen is undoubtedly going to play a vital role in decarbonising industries and transport. Countries that need hydrogen are now looking beyond their borders to nations like Scotland that can produce and provide that hydrogen at scale. Jason, can you give us some context on the hydrogen export ambition? Sure. So the Scottish Government's Hydrogen Action Plan states that if we capitalise on Scotland's potential to become a leading exporter of green hydrogen, uh, it's got the potential to contribute between 5 and $25 billion a year uh, by 2045, depending obviously on the scale of production and the extent of those exports. We've currently got a target of around about 5 gigawatts of hydrogen production capacity um, by around about 2030 and 25 gigawatts by 2045. When you, when you calculate that out, that's more than 450,000 tonnes of hydrogen produced annually for both domestic and export use. The EU uh, has obviously given hydrogen a very significant role in its energy future uh, and its energy strategy. This has been somewhat exacerbated by the ongoing war in Ukraine. And in 2030, demand is predicted to be around 20 million tonnes. Around about half of that, 10 million tonnes, is to be produced domestically within the European Union. And the rest is going to have to come from imports. So if you look even further out uh, towards 2050, the World Energy Council back in 2021, they published some work that suggests that by 2050, uh, the total EU demand for hydrogen and hydrogen-based derivatives could be around about 60 million tonnes. So around about, again, 50% of that would need to be met by import. So absolutely vast scale to all of this. And if Scotland was to meet its green export scenario targets of 94 terawatt hours a year, by 2045, this would account for nearly 10% of that EU total import demand in 2045, 2050, which, uh, yeah, I'm sure you can agree is a pretty significant number. Yeah, that is really significant and really exciting. Um, But to export, you need transport mechanisms. And we know hydrogen is a particularly challenging product to safely transport, plus infrastructure such as pipelines, storage facilities, compressors and dispensers are needed. You and the team at NZTC have recently conducted research into the pipeline infrastructure required and also the um, potential routing options. So what does that look like? Yeah, so the Hydrogen Bybone Link project uh, really focused in on the critical hydrogen transport infrastructure, which is going to be required to deliver a really cost-effective pipeline solution, which would link up key kind of export locations round about Scotland, uh, predominantly round about the north and northeast coast, with the onshore hydrogen backbone network, which is being developed in mainland Europe. Ultimately, the the project's really trying to position Scotland and the wider UK in this kind of significant export role, providing Europe with reliable, safe uh, and stable, ultimately, a source of hydrogen by the mid uh, to late 2030s and then out beyond that to 2050 and beyond. So in phase one of the project, we evaluated the repurposing of existing oil and gas infrastructure for hydrogen transport and One of the conclusions was that while it may be technically feasible, obviously depending on the age and integrity issues due to things like corrosion, ultimately due to the existing utilisation for current hydrocarbon activities, 
really an all all new build um, pipeline is going to be the most timely and cost effective option. So the project really explored multiple potential routings, both onshore uh, and offshore. And ultimately, we really concluded at the end of phase one that a purpose-built new build offshore pipeline was, was going to be the optimum choice. So we delivered detailed routing assessments for this um, this option, along with kind of class five economic analysis. So we've now got a pretty good idea of what the CapEx and the OpEx investment is going to be required to build and operate this new offshore pipeline, as well as the tariff kind of that would be required to return around about 6% initial rate of return uh, on the investment in that initial spend to get the, the pipeline up and running. So all of that detail is summarised in our public report, which is uh, free to access via the NZTC website. You know, we've kind of spoken about the opportunity, but turning the ambition into reality is always a challenge, right? And cost is a significant factor in any project like this. Um, the economic case for hydrogen pipelines versus other maritime transport, for example, such as, you know, transport by LOHC, ammonia or methanol is fairly well publicised. What's the investment needed for a new pipeline like this? So, yeah, I mean, in cases where hydrogen is being transported less than a, around about 3,000 kilometres, pipelines are by far the cheapest and safest transport option from producer to consumer. There was a great piece of work that was published by the European Commission Joint Research Centre, I think back in 2021 on this exact topic. So from phase one of the Backbone Link project, we know that our preferred routing, uh, the new pipeline CapEx spend is going to be in the region of £2.7 billion, uh, so around about €3 billion just on the CapEx spend. On the face of it, that is a very large investment, but if you compare it with the costs of shipping either liquid hydrogen, ammonia or LOHC, as you mentioned, and kind of specialised vessels alongside all of the required port infrastructure um, at both ends, this is clearly going to be significantly cheaper than all of those transport options. I mentioned earlier that our phase one kind of economic analysis landed on this 6% rate of return on investment, which results in a pipeline tariff of around about 34 pence or kind of 36 euro cents per kilogram of hydrogen. So if you compare that with some of the published data on uh, you know, some of these other maritime transport options, they're, they're well north of one euro per kilogram for the likes of LOHC or ammonia. So you can start to see there's a clear case for pipelines when you're geographically close to your off-tape market. This kind of analysis really starts to highlight the opportunity for hydrogen exports from the UK and from Scotland. While we'll likely not have the lowest production costs when we're competing with, you know, countries that have combined wind and solar production in kind of equatorial regions, places like um, Africa, for example. Our high wind capacity factors and this low transport cost will make hydrogen from Scotland and the UK cost competitive against this international competition. Great. So, you know, earlier you kind of spoke about identifying that you needed a new pipeline rather than reusing an existing one. Um, does this existing versus new also apply to the technology needed to successfully deliver the backbone link? Yeah, so some existing technologies, you know, things like valves, flow meter designs, they are pretty transferable to hydrogen services with minimal modifications. We know that hydrogen is obviously a small, low-density molecule and it's more likely to leak ultimately than natural gas. So clearly we need to make some minor modifications and adaptions um, that will optimise the existing designs for this new use. 
I mean, if you're going to blend hydrogen with natural gas, clearly you're going to have to look at blending and deblending technologies. That's going to be another area that requires a bit of focus because we've not done a lot of that. But I mean, in terms of the hydrogen backbone link, our offshore backbone, we're assuming this will be 100% hydrogen. So it's not a key focus of this bit of work. I guess one area picked up in the study was around about compression and the limitations where existing stations have the centrifugal uh, compressors. So studies are currently showing that these will have to be replaced by different compressors, basically due to the lower molecular weight of hydrogen and then the increased compression requirement because of that. And there are, there are a lot of emerging technologies, turbo compressors, electrochemical, compact centrifugal compressors that are being developed, and they all show a lot of promise uh, in terms of being able to have a tangible impact on the delivery of, of a hydrogen pipeline system. Okay, so we've spoken a lot about kind of the production of hydrogen, the transfer of it, but we also need storage solutions that provide that operational buffer and interseasonality kind of flexibility. Why does storage remain one of the key challenges in this nascent market? Yeah, um, you're right. Storage is clearly an area that we need to look into in more detail. Hydrogen can be stored physically uh, as either a gas, a liquid, or in some kind of novel storage materials like metal hydrides. Ultimately, for large-scale interseasonal storage, options exist in the subsurface. So we're talking about salt caverns, potentially depleted oil and gas fields. In terms of that salt cavern storage, this is kind of proven to work. It's been done, you know, by the chemicals industry for a number of years, since the 70s and 80s internationally. What's critical about salt caverns from a UK perspective is that we boast the third largest potential capacity of salt cavern storage in Europe. We also have a lot of potential in those depleted hydrocarbon fields being a mature oil and gas uh, basin in the North Sea. But there's still quite a bit of work that needs to be done before we can really truly understand whether there is this is going to be a viable option ultimately for hydrogen storage. I guess coming down to a slightly smaller scale, repurposed offshore pipelines, cryogenic liquid storage, um, subsea storage tanks, this all has potential to provide scalable solutions that could address that kind of smaller scale for kind of buffer storage and to maintain the pipeline's operational capacity. So there's a there's still work to be done, but the, there's already been a, a lot of existing work that, that transfers over nicely. That's really interesting and great to see kind of some of that reuse coming through into that storage strategy there as well. So, you know, one of the big things of the research that NZTC have conducted is about the benefit and the opportunity to Scotland. So I'd like to touch on the benefits to the exporter. You know, we've established that exporting meets the needs of the importer, but what are the benefits of Scotland in exporting its locally produced low carbon hydrogen through this new backbone link? So, I mean, the project really gives the opportunity to gain this early advantage in a pretty significant emerging energy market. So while we may not have the full details worked out for our own national domestic use of hydrogen, we know for a fact that countries such as Germany and the wider European Union have made concrete plans for the use of hydrogen in their energy intensive industries. So we can deliver hydrogen to domestic and export markets, increase UK and EU energy security and resilience, You know, promote connectivity throughout the UK and Europe with this kind of wider connected network, all while delivering hydrogen at a globally competitive price for the, the reasons that we've just discussed. 
So from a UK perspective, the, the backbone project is really a critical enabler for these new and kind of emerging green hydrogen projects. It's really going to provide a route to market for a lot of these projects that, that may be in kind of geographically quite diverse and remote locations oftenly. So yeah, we're really hoping that it's going to provide that kind of de-risked investment opportunity and really accelerate project deployment. And if you look on the jobs front in terms of benefits, you know, in terms of building out the backbone, we've estimated that up to around 700 UK jobs would be generated directly from the construction phase and the, the, the operational phase of the backbone in the 2030s. And it's obviously going to be a key enabler to this kind of wider UK hydrogen economy. So if we take some of the Scottish government's figures, it's going to potentially be feeding into that 300,000 jobs by 2045, you know, if we reach that, that 94 terawatt hour uh, green export scenario ambition that was laid out by the Scottish government, for example. That all sounds really exciting. So, you know, to enable this and to achieve kind of, you know, the the what you set out there, what are some of the key recommendations that actually came out of the research? So, yeah, our, our public report that I mentioned is up online. It sets out a number of kind of key recommendations. First and foremost, we really need rapid acceleration of the investment to get this backbone uh, delivered uh, by the mid to, to early 2030s. And ultimately, that needs action now. So that's what we're trying to do in setting up this project. We're trying to get ready a package that's ready to hand over to industry to get this thing deployed. We need to obviously continue investment from the government and also from industry in the various hydrogen and offshore wind uh, deployments that are going to deliver ultimately the, the hydrogen molecules to put into the backbone. And I guess just touching on the previous point around about storage, we do need to develop a national energy storage strategy. We need to have an integrated renewables and hydrogen storage system by 2030 to make sure this balances out both from the export pipeline perspective, but also for our own domestic energy system as well. I guess linked to these, uh, one of the recommendations is again for more cross-border policy alignment. And that's between governments and especially round about the North Sea region. We're starting to see that, you know, key hydrogen stakeholders are needing to come together to really facilitate this wider deployment at pace. We're seeing a lot of projects coming out that are supported at a national government level. And um, we're just starting to see, you know, some of this coming together of these national endorsed projects. So an example of that would be the master plan offshore hydrogen networks project, which is being run by a German consultancy Crew21, the MOAN project. That's looking to really start piecing together all of these national initiatives into a master plan for the North Sea. So that's one great example of, of that in action. Ultimately, there's going to be a big skills um, piece in here. So diversifying our supply chain uh, and making sure that we have the right skills in place to support this emerging hydrogen economy. And really, finally, just touching on the technology, um, there is obviously some critical technologies that are going to be required to enable the efficient, safe and cost effective running of the backbone. So ultimately, we need to accelerate the development of these technologies and, and support them through their TRL journey up to commercialisation and deployment. So, so much has already been delivered in phase one of this project, but what does phase two look like? What are the next steps that's going to really kind of bring this all together and bring it to fruition? So phase two of the project is really going to be continuing a lot of that detailed engineering work that started in phase one, but again, in more detail. 
ultimately the objective of the, this phase, which is going to be running for another two years, is to deliver this package, which can ultimately be handed over to the industry, ready for, for build out and deployment. So this is going to include a lot of pre-feed and feed deliverables. So there's a lot of work to be done. The work's also going to be involving a lot of detailed market analysis, so reviewing existing agreements, relationships with TSOs and regulators, also a final review of that connection point of the offshore routing that we made in phase one to make sure that the backbone is landing at the optimum point uh, in mainland Europe to get to where it is needed uh, in terms of those early users in the 2030s. Phase two is also going to include various different R&D activities, so focusing on technology um, that's required to operate the hydrogen network. So things like pipeline materials technology, testing for metering operations, maintenance technologies, uh, as well as sort of detection and inspection tools, just to you know give a few examples. Another um, really exciting inclusion in phase two of the scope is a review of possible West Coast and Irish links to the backbone. So I mentioned earlier that phase one really focused around about the north and east of Scotland, but phase two is now going to be also looking at potential connections to the west coast of Scotland and to Ireland, so both Northern Ireland and the Republic, where there's you know obviously this massive, albeit longer term, potential for hydrogen production. I guess finally on phase two, we've got a really great consortium made up of existing phase one partners and several new participants as well. The projects can, you know, maintain a really great momentum from the initial phase of work. Um, and we're really looking forward to delivering this and ultimately turning that vision into reality. Thanks, Jason. The insights and recommendations from the research are fascinating. And this work will undoubtedly help put Scotland on the map as a leading global exporter of hydrogen.